This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. And good morning. I'm Bruce Claggett in for Mike Smith. Well, an interesting trial getting underway in B.C. Supreme Court. And this one I find interesting because not only does it shine a spotlight on the gang situation in our province and especially in the Lower Mainland, but the players in this are very interesting in the stories themselves. What I'm talking about is the double first-degree murder trial for Tyrell Nguyen in B.C. Supreme Court. It's a story... That talks about, well, loyalty turning into betrayal, lifestyle going into death times two, and an accused who fancies himself a bit of a rapper. So there's so much here to really unwrap, and it's going to be coming out in B.C. Supreme Court. Kim Bolin is a crime reporter with the Vancouver Sun, one of the most knowledgeable people when it comes to the gang situation in our province. We're lucky to have her with us this morning. Kim, there is so much of a story behind the court and what we're hearing isn't there. Well, we're already getting a glimpse into the way the violence amongst these warring gangs works, uh, something that we've seen a lot of. We had, uh, you know, the first fellow, Randy Kang, killed in October 2017 in Surrey. Uh, of course, a burning car was found shortly afterwards that had, that was linked to the murder uh, the car was stolen, another one of the kind of factors uh, that that these fellows use when they're you know going out to do these hits. You know, the second person um, who was murdered, Jagvir Mali, uh, was not the intended target. So this fellow's just driving along in Abbotsford on Ross Road uh, when he was rear-ended. He was talking to a friend on the phone. And he said, oh, I've got to stop and get the driver's information from these people that have just hit me. He gets out of the car, 3.30 in the afternoon, and he is shot and killed. So really terrible case. Uh, We have a young fellow named Tyler Nguyen who is facing two counts of first-degree murder as well as two counts of attempted murder uh, for uh, shooting at Kang's brother Gary and a friend of theirs in the October 2017 shooting. So, you know, it's a complicated case because you've got two murders over a year um, separating them, uh, but one alleged killer. Uh, he was supposedly a hitman for the Brothers Keepers gang. Uh, the evidence, according to the Crown's opening, will be that. He was paid $100,000 for the Kang murder and $30,000 for the Mali murder. So, you know, if this bears out, it's a judge-alone trial uh, over the next few months. Uh, we really um, are, are seeing how money is put up and, and the methods that are used uh, to carry out these uh, violent acts of retaliation uh, that we've seen so many of on the Lower Mainland in the last few years. When we look at warnings from police about the gang life or lifestyle, they often talk about innocent victims, about uh, people dying uh, in the lifestyle, and about uh, not being able to trust uh, who you associate with. Well, all of these are going to be playing out in court, aren't they? 
They sure are. I mean, what, one of the things I found so remarkable about uh, Crown Prosecutor Joe Bellow's opening, which was earlier this week, is that uh, uh, Mr. Nguyen and another man alleged to have been involved, though he's not facing any charges, and a third man who's going to be the key Crown witness, were all invited to the Kang family home for Thanksgiving dinner in 2017. Uh, so I did my calculations. That was 18 days before Randy Kang was allegedly killed by one of the men he was dining with that night. So, you know, talk about betrayal, like to actually you know, be at uh, the family home with other relatives, uh, enjoying a Thanksgiving dinner while you're simultaneously plotting to kill the person that you're out for dinner with. Uh, you know, it's quite chilling. Chilling indeed. And also, uh, when you take a look at uh, the accused, uh, the accused actually has another line of work, is it? He's a rapper, is he not? This is actually going to play into uh, what we're going to hear. Yes, he raps under the name T-Sav, or did before he was arrested in December 2019. And one song that came out uh, after Randy King's murder, uh, paid tribute to the Slayin' Brothers Keepers leader, uh, Govinder Graywall. And the lyrics in the song suggest that he has killed uh, because he wanted to avenge the death of uh, Gavin Graywall. Graywall was gunned down in December 2017 in North Vancouver in yet another one of these tit-for-tat murders. Uh, no one is charged yet in his killing. What level of interest is this for the RCMP at this point in uh, fighting uh, the war on on gangs, this one trial? Is it uh, one of the most high-profile ones or just another case? I would say it's high-profile. I mean, you know, they they have done uh, a very detailed investigation over years. We know from the opening that, you know, this former friend, uh, associate of Mr. Nguyen, uh, agreed to testify and agreed to be a police agent. So according to the Crown, uh, Tyrell Nguyen made all kinds of disclosures, uh, confessed basically to each of the murders, uh, both before and after this witness, who will only be called A.B., uh, cooperated with police. So some of those were captured in these little uh, scenarios. Uh, they're there is apparently video of that. We saw one of the videos in uh, the opening statement the other day. So, you know, it looks like a strong case. But, of course, you know, the defense has will have its turn to attack the credibility of the witnesses. And whenever they make a deal uh, to get a former gangster to cooperate and testify against uh, a one-time gang mate, that person's credibility is in question because, you know, they are usually involved in the criminal lifestyle themselves. Uh, but there seems to be corroborating evidence. Uh, in the second murder, DNA uh, from the accused was found in the burning vehicle, uh, which is interesting because presumably they always burn these vehicles after these murders because they think it, it destroys all the evidence. Uh, but in that case, at least, again, according to the opening, uh, the Crown made uh, evidence was recovered, both DNA and blood from the vehicle because the neighbors put out the fire with right. the fire extinguisher really quickly. So... You know, that's kind of good to know that evidence can still be recovered when we've seen so many of these burning vehicles after murders have taken place. 
This is part of the ongoing war between the different gangs, and one of the gangs we're hearing about is the Brothers Keepers. I know that this gang also relates back to uh, the Red Scorpions and some of the others we've heard about. Where are the allegiances, or do we even know? Because it seems like there's so many moving parts at times. Yes, certainly there are moving parts. I mean, all you have to do is is look at a case like this where someone who was uh, allegedly very close uh, to uh, the young man accused, you know, agreed to cooperate against him, right? So, you know, that happens frequently. They're always turning on each other. Sometimes they're turning on each other uh, because they decide to cooperate with police. Sometimes they're turning on each other because they decide to cooperate with another gang, uh, as we see in this case. In fact, the evidence uh, that was described that will become part of the trial, uh, you know, said that uh, Randy Kang and his brother and their friends were meeting with one of the men that was apparently plotting against them within an hour of the shooting. So they thought they were going to... Um, another meeting in a park in Surrey. Instead, when they got there, their supposed friends got out of the car and started shooting at them, again, according to what we've heard so far in this trial. So um, the Brothers Keepers has uh, connections to the Hells Angels. Uh, The Kang brothers had connections to the Red Scorpions. They're still, you know, interestingly, Gary Kang, uh, the younger brother, was wounded uh, Back on October 27, 2017, in the shooting that left his older brother, Randy, dead. Uh, but then he was shot to death in another one of these brazen attacks uh, last year. There is a third brother who's currently in jail. First clank it in for Mike Smith. Before the break, we were talking with Kim Bullen of the Vancouver Sun about a case that uh, shines a spotlight on loyalty, lifestyle, and ultimately, because it's before the courts, Two charges of first-degree murder. Yeah, it's the gang lifestyle. It's playing out in BC in many different ways. But is it any different now than it was perhaps 15 years ago? Someone that may have an answer to that or explain the new face of gangs, Doug Spencer, retired from the Vancouver Police Department, but uh, known more recently with Odd Squad Productions. Doug, thanks so much uh, for joining us. And I know a lot of your outreach in recent years has been shining a spotlight of a different sort on gangs and how it's not all it's cracked up to be. What do you make of uh, this case? Yeah, it, you know, the the gangsters of previous years, um, there was somewhat a honor among thieves and stuff, but it, it's just so treacherous now. These guys overnight will shoot uh, guys in their own gang. They don't care if it get moves them up a step on the ladder. They'll take them out. It, it's just like... It's the most unsafe it's ever been for any kid in a gang, for sure. And yet, Doug, we still see people entering the gang lifestyle. What's the attraction? Is it because it's uh, easy money or uh, uh, getting, uh, you know, the dates you want? What's going on here? What do you have to fight when you talk with people that are vulnerable to this lifestyle? Yeah, you, you kind of, we do talks to school kids from ages grade five and up, actually. And you, you just got to let them know that it's not what it's made out to be in movies and videos and stuff. All the social media, they glorify it. it it's the exact polar opposite of glorious. But the, the kids, 
that are getting involved are kind of empty vessel kids, they call them, right? They, they have nothing positive going on in their life. They have no support. They have no status among their peers in school and stuff. So hence they end up dropping out and selling dope and doing the gangster life. You, you just got to make them realize that, you know, a life of substance and uh, helping people and being productive it, and, and again, being safe where you don't have to worry about who's behind you, right? Well, some time ago, I had a uh, interview with someone that was also familiar with gangs. And one of the troubling things that came in to the conversation was gangs here in B.C. may be a lot different than, say, what we're used to hearing in the States. Um The people that enter the gang life are not necessarily from marginalized backgrounds. Uh, They are quite often in the States. Um, And uh, there's something else at play. But nailing down what's at play must be difficult because you're not necessarily talking to people who have had a tough upbringing, are you? No, for sure. Uh, You know, a lot of the gangs in the U.S., they come from impoverished uh, ghetto-type areas, right? Uh, The kids up here... Uh, quite a few of them come from well-off families and stuff. And, uh, you know, there's a lack of involvement in their kid's life from the parents. The parents are worried so much about getting that extra car and the, the nicest house. And, you know, they're, they're working hard, but you got to work just as hard or harder on your children. Like, If your kid's coming home at four in the morning every day with a pocket full of money, you better start asking questions. If he's driving a brand new Escalade or Camaro or whatever, and he's not working, ask questions. There's something going on and you're oblivious to it. And, you know, the next thing you know, you're going to wake up at your kid's funeral. So, you know, that kind of stuff is more happening up here. It's certainly uh, quite a bit different than the U.S., the accused in this case that's in BC Supreme Court is a rapper. Um, and in the rap music that uh, his own music, the lyrics, he talks about uh, the gang lifestyle and about uh, getting revenge. And it's glamorizing this. Um, I mean, I hate to be that old guy taking a look at rap music, but does it play a factor into this? Oh, most certainly these kids, there's a lot of, they've made, uh, I found a bunch of rap videos on the, uh, on YouTube, they posted stuff and I, I've actually used that with expert evidence in court against them because it shows they're part of the gang, right? So, you know, that's how uh, naive they are to know that that can be used against them. So, And as well, when you're doing that type of stuff, you're showing your enemy who you are. Some of them don't even know their rivals, but you've now just given them a picture to go out and look for, right? So, yeah, for sure, the the rapper thing, they have totally glorified that lifestyle. And what's ridiculous is the guys that are the, the rappers in the States, they've done it to get out of the ghetto. Right. They've got done it to free themselves from that life. Yeah. But, so it's almost you know, a now, now, misinterpretation. Now it. It's taking yeah. a different message, twisting it around and uh, taking it to a new extreme, at least here. Yeah, they, they make it uh, pleasant to listen to. You know, I, I've listened. My kids 
there's certainly an age difference there. And we're driving around in the car and I listen to some of the rap music. Some of it's positive, but the percentage of it is negative. They, they treat, they call women hoes and they, they treat people disrespectfully and they talk about shooting people and stuff. I tell my kids, turn that off. I don't want to hear it. Mike Smith is off today. I'm Bruce Claggett in the host's chair. There's no doubt about it in our province here in B.C., along with many jurisdictions across Canada and arguably around the world, there is a staffing shortage at all levels, a shortage that we usually talk about in terms of employment jobs, you know, the ones that you actually work for somebody and it's an ongoing employment gig. We use that term because there's another side of the economy, the gig economy, and that's where a lot of these workers employ themselves and work as things like delivery drivers. And with that comes some of the exploitation that may be associated with that and some of the fears over a lack of representation. Well, many app-based delivery drivers and others are turning to a app to actually help out with this situation. Bryce Sofer is with Gig Workers United. Good morning, Bryce. Yes, hi. It's uh, pronounced Bryce, uh, but uh, that's fine. It happens all the time. Yes, how are you today? Well, I'm doing very well, uh, Bryce. And, you know, when it gets into talk about gigs and gig workers, when uh, we look at the type of jobs that they cover, it's uh, mostly delivery drivers. That's what's uh, described on the app, or is it more than that? Um, well, as far as uh, Gig Workers United is concerned, uh, it's uh, folks that deliver uh, food or goods uh, through apps. So that can be, you know, ones that you're familiar with, like uh, Amazon, uh, Flex, uh, DoorDash, Uber Eats, uh, Skip the Dishes, those types of, uh, of, of jobs. Now, for those who are not familiar, uh, the people that uh, do deliver for the, door, uh, the food delivery uh, services are self-employed, aren't they? They're um, working, (laughs) providing a service. Uh, Do I have that part right? Because I know there is some dispute over that. (laughs) Yes, yeah, there's there's definitely some dispute. Uh, These, it's basically these app companies that have designated uh, workers like myself as uh, as self-employed, but really they exert the same control over us as as any employer would. Uh, We're required uh, to perform these deliveries in a certain way. And, uh, and and if we're deemed not to be uh, up to uh, up to standard, then then we can be deactivated, essentially let go from doing this work. The only difference is is that because we are designated as self-employed, uh, we don't have many of the protections that uh, many workers would have, uh, you know, uh, relative to their boss. So if I'm deactivated, there's there's very little recourse uh, that I can do if, if if that deactivation happens to be in error or due to a, a customer uh, filing a complaint that, is, uh, that isn't uh, fully honest, uh, you could say. Brees, let's take a look at uh, the life and uh, a day in the uh, day working, I guess, uh, for a delivery driver, perhaps somebody with Uber Eats. Uh, when they mm-hmm. go to uh, deliver food, they are responsible for what? What are they paying out of the pocket for? They're responsible for maintaining their car. They're, respons- they're responsible for, for gas. They're responsible for the insurance. Uh, they're responsible for basically for all the costs of, uh, of the tools that they use to make these companies money. 
um, you know, and, 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 and these companies, they, they, you know, maintained either the same pay or, you know, try to try their best to reduce the pay that, uh, that, that workers like myself and others are paid. And what that means in, in face of uh, mounting inflation right now is that workers are in a very tight spot. Uh, you know, they, they came to this job, uh, this type of work uh, to build a life. Many of these people are people that have recently arrived in Canada. And uh, they find themselves all of a sudden uh, in a very difficult position where the job that they, you know, the, the work that they thought they had that, that, that could provide for them some kind of stability is no longer now a source of stability. But, you know, it also, you know, it happens to be the work that they've done for years now. So it, it's very hard for them to, to find something else. And rights are different in Canada than they are perhaps in uh, other countries where they've come from. And that may not even be understood, I'm guessing. Yes. Yes, uh, for sure. Uh, So, you know, as a labor organizer myself, uh, as as vice president of Gig Workers United, I spend a lot of time going out on the street talking to fellow workers. And uh, there is a lot of of, of fear. Um, You know, a lot of them have, uh, you know, have have come here uh, like I said, relatively recently, they don't want to lose their status. They don't want to rock the boat. Uh, and they do come from jurisdictions where, uh, where, where standing up for your rights is, uh, can, can put you in a lot of danger. Some of them are refugees who are here because of having done that already. So, it, you know, it, it's, it, you know, bundled with being financially uh, unstable, uh, you know, this, this precarity that, uh, that comes from, 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 the way these apps treat the workers, it means that they need these labor rights. But for them, it's very hard to stand up for that. Uh, you know, it's a, double, it's a double whammy. It's really a tough spot. Let's talk about money and just the, the money mm-hmm. that a uh, typical delivery driver might end up earning. Uh, how much is it and how does it come <laughs> into their possession? Well, yeah, that's a really good question. And it's a, it's a bit of a complex question to answer. Um, you know, I can speak from my own experience uh, working Uber Eats. Uh, you know, I, I, I use a bike, so I'm, I'm fairly uh, fortunate that my costs are low. Um, but, you know, when I'm, I, I'll log on to the app, I'll, st- I'll start getting offers for orders. Um, the amounts that we're offered can fluctuate uh, from second to second, minute to minute, uh, from meter to meter of where we're positioned. These apps have an employee algorithm that's Constantly changing the payout uh, due to uh, whatever, you know, what, what it says are calculations of supply and demand. Um, you know, I can have, I can tell you that I can have base uh, pay on Uber Eats uh, at really slow times. Uh, that can be as low as, I don't know, I, I, it, it, from what I can see, it's, it's under $3. Uh, you know, that's a big issue as well is we're, we're not told by these companies how our pay is calculated. We're told that that's the price of of our so-called flexibility uh, of being able to work whenever we want. So I don't know how much I get paid per kilometer. I don't know how much I get paid for the time. Um, you know, it, it, I, I get it. I, I, I get paid by these apps, uh, you know, and, but I really have no idea how, and, and it makes it very difficult if there is a perception that, that the pay wasn't correct. It, it makes it very difficult to argue that fact. Uh, so workers tend to uh, just accept it and it, creates more of these situations and 
and kind of allows these apps to continue doing this type of exploitation. Now, Brees, with Uber Eats uh, recently, at least here in Canada, uh, mm-hmm. the formula, the system was changed a bit. Uh, you do see the price that you're offered for a gig, meaning one delivery, mm-hmm. but that could be a combination of the price that's being charged and a tip from a customer, which you don't know until afterwards. So you can end up uh, accepting something that had zero tip or something that the entire tip is actually basically uh, providing the pay for that uh, one gig. Is that not correct? Yes. uh, Well, that is correct that uh, we can see up front what the expected tip. uh, They they make sure to to make that language very specific. Uh, You know, the expected tip. Uh, you know, sometimes it's there, sometimes it doesn't come. So I, I could be offered a, you know, a, a delivery that would look like it's $10. Um, you know, but if that tip is retracted by the customer, which can happen, um, you know, I'm only getting $2 for that delivery. So it's a kind of a bait and switch. The other really dangerous thing about that is Uber is using tips to basically subsidize our pay. Um, the, the, the customer is, is basically paying a greater and greater amount of these workers' wages while Uber is paying less and less. So that should be something that should really, um, you know, make a lot of consumers think twice, uh, you know, or, or demand, you know, think, think, think twice about what they're paying because these rates can be very high that they're paying. And, and yet a lot of it's not going into the pocket of, of, of working people. It's going into the pocket of, of big business, uh, you know, that has international head offices that's coming here and disrupting our labor market. If it is found that there are tips that are covering the uh, greater cost and that has been a calculated move on the part of somebody like uh, or a company like Uber, it sounds like Mm -hmm. an organization, a labor-backed organization, could go ahead with a class action lawsuit. Is that going to be considered? I I, I mean, you know, as... uh, (laughs) Yes, we, we are a labor organization affiliated uh, with, with uh, the Canadian Post Workers Union, who have been uh, great, uh, you know, at supporting us and have seen this plight uh, as something important to back. Um, you know, as far as what our, our moves are, uh, you know, we, we make sure workers, when they're organizing, never tell the boss what, uh, what they're going to do. Um, you know, I can tell you that we have taken legal action against Uber. Uber has uh, attempted to violate uh, our right uh, to uh, a free, uh, you know, to the freedom of organizing uh, our own labor movement and has made a deal with another union. Um, and so that is something we have challenged in the court. Uh, this is, you know, kind of, as, as was revealed, I don't know if, if your listeners, uh, but there is this reveal of documents called the Uber Files that revealed that this is Uber's playbook, is to push the envelope on legality, and to uh, to operate in gray areas unless they can either, uh, you know, unless unless governments, jurisdictions do nothing or, or they can change the law. Uh, that's been their common practice is trying to rewrite labor law. This is Bruce Plaggett in for Mike Smith. Before the break, we were talking with Bree Silfer, uh, Gig Workers United, talking about delivery drivers, the ultimate gig workers. And about his role with uh, Gig Workers United to represent uh, some of the underrepresented drivers in their plight. And this is going right off the website for Gig Workers United. They say Gig Workers United 104 
is a community union and a labor partnership with the Canadian Union of Postal Workers. Gig workers struggle side-by-side with CUPW to improve the conditions for workers in the gig economy and to engage in political actions. Brees, uh, what sort of pickup or acceptance do you have from those who are delivery drivers so far? Uh, you know, we were at last night speaking to workers, uh, you know, in an area outside of Toronto. And uh, I would say that, uh, you know, about 80% of people uh, are willing to, 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 to talk to us and talk about their problems and, uh, and engage in a, in a further way with our union. Uh, you know, it's, when you when you attack people's pocketbooks, when you when you basically reduce their you know their, the horizons of of what's possible in life because they can't have any savings anymore, they're living paycheck to paycheck. They might even be falling behind. Uh, people are very very interested in in speaking to you when you tell them that there's something that we could do about it. Um, you know, people have tried doing nothing. Uh, I mean, that's been what it's been like up until now. And so, you know, when you tell them, how about we try something, they're very open to it. Um, and, and so, yeah, we've been seeing a lot of enthusiasm from workers to, to, to try something for once. Okay, let's take some of the calls. Uh, George in Nanaimo, what are your thoughts? Dash delivery driver as well as an Uber uh, delivery driver. It's my second gig. Um, it absolutely saved me during the pandemic. My other business was radically affected. So it's been nothing but good for me. I'm 100% not interested in being in a union. I like being an independent contractor. I don't feel exploited whatsoever. I work whenever I want, and I decide which deliveries I want to take. So if I don't think it's worth my while, I don't accept them. So we don't need any help from the government. We don't need any help from the union. Uh, We already saw how much the unions did for people during the pandemic when they let them all be fired and didn't do anything. So thanks, but no thanks. George, uh, it sounds like you also enjoy the flexibility uh, in that, too. It's not your only gig, is it? Yeah, I would be a little bit worried if it was my sole source of income because it can be a little unpredictable. But I have a carpet cleaning business, uh, which tends to be somewhat seasonal. So as we get into the winter months, or if I have any kind of a slow period, because I'm a top dasher, I can hit the button and work anytime I want anywhere in the world where there's DoorDash. I find that's about as free as you could possibly be, and I make I average about thirty to forty dollars an hour when I'm delivering. So I'm quite happy with the way things are. Appreciate the phone call, George. Uh, Brees, is it going to be difficult to have a union sell per se uh, for those uh, when it's not their main gig? Is it uh, different for those workers? Um, you know, there's, it, it can be, it is definitely a different sell. Um, you know, I happen to be one of those workers, uh, and, uh, and, and I, and I actually share a, a similar experience as the, as the caller. I, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a DJ as, as my other gig when the pandemic hit, I had no work. All the clubs, all the bars were closed that I played at. There were no weddings, uh, no corporate events that okay. were being held. So I, I, I relied on this work, uh, you know, as my main work, and it, and it saved me too. So I, I'm, I'm there with him, um, you know. Um, but there is a reason why people do these, this type of work. You know, there's a reason why I took it up. I took it up because I wasn't able to make enough money and, and afford uh, living in, in a big city uh, with what I was making from, from DJing. 
Uh, so I had to take up uh, this type of work. And, and that's the case for a lot of people. That This is, you know, they do this out of uh, out of necessity uh, in order to to afford living, uh, you know, where, you know, where they do. And, and, and in this inf- in this time of inflation. Brees, so what um, are the next steps yeah. from here in order to organize? What are the next steps? Uh, well, I mean, we, we you know, as, as far as uh, what our organizing is, we go out there and we talk to workers and uh, and we plan actions. Uh, so we have we have we have different actions that we do. Uh, you know, so we're 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 organizing workers on the street. Like I said, we're also launching uh, court cases. So we are uh, we're facing uh, Uber head on in front of the Labor Relations Board in Ontario. Okay. So, uh, well, thank you very much for your time and shining a bit of a spotlight on the work behind this, as well as uh, some of the struggle and the steps to overcome those challenges. Bree Silver, thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm Bruce Claggett in for Mike Smith. Before the break, we were talking about the gig economy, gig economy, and specifically um, drivers who are doing deliveries for food and uh, their plight and uh, whether they are represented well or even at all. And we were talking with Bryce Silver or Bryce Silver and Bryce is uh, looking to have an allegiance of sorts with the Canadian Union of Postal Workers and better represent those drivers so that they get their fair share of pay and uh, their voice being heard had uh, a number of calls we did not get to on that topic. If you do have an opinion, perhaps you even do deliveries uh, on your own, working for and with one of those apps, love to hear uh, what you have to say. Would you want an alliance with uh, with organized labor? Uh, give us a call on the buzz line. Love to hear from you. 604-331-2899. 604-331-2899. You know, I've got a drawer at home, and it's full of cables, a whole bunch of them. They're all twirled into almost like a ball, a, a, like a, a bunch of spaghetti. And I try to untangle them at times for different devices, including phones. It is a mess that I've been swearing at for years, and uh, and still it exists. One of those cords that's always in there that I'm always searching for is the Apple, now the latest generation, the flash cord, the Apple iPhone cord for my Apple iPhone. It's different than the rest. It's not a USB. It's not a USB A, B, or C. And there just seems to be no commonality when it comes to that. Is there a solution to this? Well, possibly the European Union has found it. And in fact, they may be forcing it on Apple itself because coming in the fall of 2024, all Apple iPhones will have to take a USB-C as a standard connector. Big change. Apple hates these type of moves. To talk more about this, well, we're joined by Handy Andy Media's Andy Barrar, Andy, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, you got to say, this is not something that Apple ever wants to do, is it? 
Bruce, if this was a game of chess, uh, the EU just pulled the check move on Apple. So all eyes are, what is Apple going to do next? Will they release an iPhone and play fair ball with all the other manufacturers and have an iPhone with USB-C? Or will they try to circumvent this and differentiate themselves and, and continue to make a revenue stream off the lightning cable uh, in, the, in, in Europe and also in North America? Well, that lightning cable, not a flash cable, lightning cable, that's right. The lightning cable is notorious. If you see that, you know what phone that goes into. There's only one. It's the iPhone. Well, several different versions of it. But Apple loves that. They love having their own way, uh, perhaps a superior way of doing things in Apple's eyes. Now they may just be another phone. This is going to be happening for sure in the European Union. But what are the chances of it being universal then uh, coming to North America? What do you think? Well, this is the big question, Bruce, is what is Apple going to do? How are they going to react to this? Because we have to go all the way back to 2007. In 2007, micro USB became the standard because before that, before we had smartphones, this problem existed. You had all the manufacturers, Nokia, LG, Sony, BlackBerry, and they all had their different charging ports. And that's how we got micro USB. But it was also in 2007 that Apple entered the smartphone market or essentially created it with the original iPhone. And that had the 30-pin connector. So right from the beginning, when they entered the market, they were differentiating themselves. And in 2012, they moved to the lightning port. So the lightning cable is 10 years old, and it took the EU to pass legislation to force Apple to play fair ball with all the other manufacturers who have already adopted USB-C. Why would the EU even care about this? Well, because of the e-waste. If you look, you mentioned it yourself. When you open up a drawer, you have all these cables. Now, I don't understand why we can't just imagine that we have a world where we have one cable to charge all of our devices. And that is the kind of world the EU is envisioning. And I feel that ever since 2007 with micro USB, that could have been the case. But Apple had always tried to you know, separate themselves and they made bank doing so because they licensed that technology, the lightning cable. So if you're a company like Belkin and you want to make a lightning cable, you got to pay Apple a cut. And of course, we used to have counterfeit lightning cables, but then Apple put software inside an iOS update to be able to prevent you from using a knockoff. So they've controlled this market and they've made a lot of money and they don't want to see that money go. So the question is, will they play fair ball or won't they? And I don't see it. I don't see Apple coming and, and putting a USB-C in the, in the iPhone. Don't see it because it goes to brand more? Is that kind of the idea? I, kind of. They want, they want to separate themselves. And if you look at wireless charging, we're starting to move towards wireless charging, Bruce. And I think what Apple is waiting for is to get that technology to the point that it can charge just as fast as if you had a physical connection and also transfer data. Because the big thing that everyone should be watching for in the smartphone uh, world is who gets the first phone that has no ports. Because they already Apple with the 14, iPhone 14, in the U.S., it doesn't have a SIM port, yet has eSIM. But in Canada, they still have the SIM port. So they, they can play, you know, different, different style of phone in different markets. They've already shown to do that. But I just don't see them 
putting USB-C in the iPhone. I think they're waiting for that technology for wireless so that they can say the iPhone 16, which is probably when it will come out, will be the first phone without any ports. So the race is on to see what manufacturer can get there first. Bruce Claggett in for Mike Smith this morning. The headline is Apple must change iPhone charging ports to USB-C in Europe by the fall of 2024. The story is the reform is being passed by an overwhelming majority in the European Parliament. The first of its kind anywhere in the world potentially strengthening the European Union's role as a global standard setter when it comes to this sort of technology. The vote was confirmed earlier, an agreement among all EU institutions. So that's what's coming in two years' time. You have two years to uh, get the act together and start thinking about this, but we're already diving into what this means with Andy Barrar. He's uh, a technology and digital lifestyle expert. I love that title, Andy. And, uh, of course, with Handy Andy Media. Andy, uh, you know... Is this going to end up being a bit of a game changer, do you think? Or is it uh, something, as you say, uh, Apple is just going to stand by and wait to see if uh, we're going to cordless chargers anyways? I think it's long overdue, Bruce. You know, we have been trying to standardize all these charging cables for a long time, and it just hasn't happened. And the question is why? And it's because companies like Apple understand that that's a great revenue stream. You know, anyone that buys a printer understands this because when you buy a printer, they only put half the ink in the actual printer because they want you to start buying ink cartridges. And before we had all of these other types of shops where you could refill your inks and they button that up really quick by, you know, voiding your warranty and such. So Apple's not the only company that does this. They're just trying to find additional revenue streams, but they shouldn't do it at the the charging port because we should, you know, look at our standard house. We don't have outlets for different types of manufacturers you know we just we take that for granted and for some reason we've allowed just this one company to be able to kind of play by different rules where everyone else is trying to play fair ball and reduce electronic waste one company but a company that came out with some pretty cool technology in multiple areas but uh if you have a call for andy on this uh topic certainly give us a shout at 604-280-9898 in terms of technologies and the future of Apple, 604-280-9898, going to Fort Langley and Kelly. Kelly, do you have a question for Andy? I sure do. First of all, what a beautiful day to be out here camping at Derby Reach. This is just gorgeous. Beautiful spot. Yeah. I know very well where you are. What's your question? <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I've i been battling with my, I just got that new 13 Pro Max, and I got my TV in my trailer, and what cord do I need to plug it in for my phone to make my TV work? Oh, that's a good question. Andy, do you have to ask a couple more questions to get to that one, or do you know? I believe that you would probably need like an Apple TV because they, they, do, they don't just have a standard cord that you can go directly into your TV and then mirror off that. So they, they kind of want you to stick in their, inside their ecosystem for, to make that work. Well, I, I got this thing from uh, Best Buy or whatever I got. It, it has a, a thing you plug in your HDMI cord and my iPhone cord and then another cord which plugs into a uh, USB adapter to my power thing. And that's the one that's supposed to do it, but it doesn't seem to work. And my cousin says he has the same iPhone. He has just a, one cord with the uh, HDMI and the, the iPhone plug-in. 
it's like that's just TV and it seems to work, but I keep doing this and I go, I'm getting problems. So I just wondered, you, I don't think you have to have an Apple TV thing, but. Uh, well, you know what? Send me an email, Andy at Handy Andy Media, and send me the, the product that you're currently using, and then I'll take a look, and also the TV that you're using, and I'll take a look and be able to follow that uh, up because that's a, an issue I think a lot of people want to solve as well. How did we ever, and thanks for the call, Kelly, appreciate that. How did we ever get into this uh, mess, Andy, with so many different chords and uh, a world where everything uh, isn't really, I don't know, compliant with uh, everything else? I mean, can't couldn't we have had a different sort of world where we didn't have anything but a standard? I, I, I've I always wondered that, Bruce. Like, how did we get here? And it really came down when the early days of cell phones, the early ones, they all had different types of ports. It's been so long that a lot of us forget about that. And that is exactly why we had, you know, micro USB. But it took all of the companies to really sit down, get in a room. And it took a lot of pressure from the public to make them sit down and get in a room and say, create a standard. You know, this is ridiculous. One thing I will say about the iPhone lightning port, when that debuted, that was a game changer because it was reversible. It didn't matter which way you went in. So it technologically was superior to micro USB for that purpose. But USB-C copied that. And right now, USB-C has faster data transfer speeds and charging speeds. So there really isn't a reason why we should have the lightning port outside of Apple just making bank every time someone has to sell it. That's really the well, only true. reason they're, I They're see. not cheap. Anyone that uh, loses a cord uh, knows that, especially if you get the uh, the Apple product and non aftermarket product. Um, I also remember when they switched over to the Lightning uh, port, taking a look back at the old system, and you thought, "Oh, that was so out of date." Well, it was only a couple years ago, but it just seems kind of well, for me kind of gross. You want to get rid of that old cord. Uh, Justin in Kelowna, do you have a question? Hello there. I'm just wondering, does the lightning port, does it actually handle battery charging differently than the USB-C? I know the USB-C is known to be fast, and but when I, when I watch all the tech reviews, they talk about uh, batteries on Androids, you know, uh, not lasting as long and as well as the iPhone. Is that a reason for the US, I mean, the lightning port? Oh, good question. What do you think? Well, one of one of Apple's criticism about this move, you know, they said it stifles innovation and they did provide a lot of innovation inside the lightning port. But the USB-C has kind of taken a lot of those, you know, out of their playbook and improved on it. So it just makes sense. Like we shouldn't you should be able to go to a coffee shop or to a bar and be able to charge your phone, have a coffee and and just ask somebody, do you have a cable without asking what kind of phone do you have? And I, it's unfortunate that we got to that kind of world that we have right now. And it bugs me when companies start greenwashing saying, we're using less cardboard in our packaging. If you really wanted to make a difference, just have us all with one simple cord that can last for maybe 10 years until the next technology comes around. Like, you know, we will have a day where the way that we charge our phones is wirelessly. It's just going to take some time. But until then, you know, maybe Apple will support USB-C with the next iPhone 15. Maybe not. But whatever the case, another option is they could do a, an adapter. So it goes from USB-C to, to lightning port. So we'll have to wait and see how Apple uh, responds to this. And that's why I think it's a big check move by the EU because we're really just watching to see what Apple's going to do next.
Yeah, thanks, Justin, for the call. When you say adapters, uh, you know, I start to think about when they went to uh, wireless headphones for the iPhones, and then they still had the adapter in there, and still do, I guess, for those that have uh, spent the money on old headphones like me. But, uh, you know, it's like, oh, where's the adapter? And then, of course, that's another expense, and you have to have one of those too. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I see that Apple probably could do that just to kind of, uh, you know, buy some time until they can get everything fully wireless. But I really think we need to see some more innovation in the smartphone category. It's been a while. People are like always waiting for the latest and greatest. And I think to have a phone that has completely no ports, charges, or charges wirelessly and transfers data wirelessly, I think that is the next big innovation. And I'm waiting to see if it's going to be Samsung. Samsung? Will it be Apple? Who is going to introduce that phone first to the market? Andy, always a pleasure to have you on and break it down for us. My pleasure. Anytime. Uh